I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 4. And this the teaching for this, this week took a significant change of directions because of a staff prayer meeting on Tuesday. At our staff, we meet every Tuesday at 9 o'clock for staff prayer. And one of our staff members, Kathy Deal, brought stuff to us which I was not aware of. Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And I was not aware of all this entails. So all week long, I have been reading and looking and listening and podcasting and whatever, what's happening. What I'd like to do this morning, if you'll let me, well, the song, we just sang two beautiful songs. Uh, you are for us, good, good father. I'm gonna ask you this morning, I'm gonna, I, I'd like to, I need you to really, really trust me and stay with me this morning. Because we're gonna go in deep water. So I'll be saying you are for us, when you're suffering, do you believe that? Do you believe you have a good, good father when you walk through difficult, difficult, difficult times? See, it's one thing to sing songs on a Sunday morning in church when we're all here and doing kumbaya together. But all week long, do we believe what we just sang? And here's the whole sermon, the whole teaching in a sentence. Suffering is intended for our good to make us strong in faith. That's where we're going to go. But I'd like to look at today's passage through the eyes of the persecuted church. So I want to read chapter 4, 12 through 19. Then I want to show you a map. And then I'd like you to watch a seven-minute video. And then I want to read it again. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Hear the words of the Lord. Dear friends, literally beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, that phrase, fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Why? Here's the purpose clause. So that you may be overjoyed when Christ's glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name the name of Christ. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now, the word suffering is launched all the way through that. Let me give you a map. Here's a map. And after the service is over, I will have this, leave, leave it on the pulpit so you can see it. This map, the dark colors, red, yellows, those are 50 nations where, this is the number, 245 million Christians are being persecuted today. 245 million. 
Well, that's a big number. Can I show you what it's like to live in one of those countries? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, would you please watch this? In the primary school, we were taught that all missionaries were terrorists. They told us that a missionary will be nice to you at first, but when they get you into their homes, then they will kill you and eat your liver. There was no food and no work in my village. Like some others, I snuck across the mountain border into China. I picked mushrooms in the hopes of selling them in Chiang Mai. I don't speak Chinese at all. But in the mountains, I met a man. He said, I can sell those for you. And he didn't cheat me. He gave me all the money from the sale. At that time, I didn't know he was Pastor Han. Over the next two years, I went back several times. Each time, Pastor Han helped me. One day, I asked why he would do this for he himself was in great danger for assisting a North Korean. It is because I am a Christian, he said. That made me afraid. Was he going to eat my liver? One day, Pastor Han said to me, God is real. There is hope for every person. I could not believe he would say that word, God. Nobody says that word. We know it is an act of treason. To speak the name of God can lead to soldiers coming in the night. will write about you, and no one will ever dare ask where you have gone. One day I asked Pastor Han for a Bible. He knew that if I was caught with a Bible, my life would be in danger. But over time, I persuaded him. I showed the Bible to my wife. At first, she refused to even look at it. Why would you bring that here, she cried. 
Shinru that if anyone reported that you had even glanced at a Bible, you would be arrested, and not just you. You and all your relatives sent to the concentration camps for years and years and years. Over time, my wife too learned that God is real. She found hope. And then I shared the word of God with my best friend. It was very dangerous for me to share. It was very dangerous for him to listen. One day in the summer of 2016, we heard that some North Korean assassins were being honored by the government, rewarded for their good work for killing a terrorist missionary in Changbai. We knew it was Pastor Han. Who else could it be? We, we were frightened. Did they know he was my friend? Did they know I had met with him many times? Pastor Han gave his life. But he gave hope to me and to many other North Koreans. And despite the ever-present danger, many of us will continue to share the message that God is real. We hope that our sacrifice, when the day comes, will be worthwhile, just like it was for Pastor Han. Let's read it again. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you, look at the next phrase, to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, 
or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, the name of Christ. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for all those who do not obey the gospel of God? And from Proverbs 11, it is hard, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. People of God, these are the words of God. So let's push into this a little bit. What do you think about all this? One of the, now, I'm going to try today, I'm going to just keep focusing on the persecuted church. And my request is you apply it to yourself in whatever suffering you're experiencing. Because I want to make sure we understand how big a deal this was to these people. So remember now, this is about AD 62, AD 64. So if you call yourself a Christian in Rome, the government is looking for you. If they find you, they will impale you, cover you with pitch, and burn you alive at one of Nero's orgies at his palace. And Nero would ride his chariot through the burning Christians with crazy, crazy cackling laughter as they are burned alive. And to those people, St. Peter writes words like, don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange. Don't be ashamed. Now, what he's poking at here, this is the, this, the, this is the thing we get, that he, I'm talking to them now. You apply it yourself. Peter knows that if the roots do not go deep in Jesus, they will not be able to stand the suffering that's coming. So listen now. The purpose of suffering in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19 is to help you grow the muscles of faith. That when hard times come, you have the courage, the faith, the trust that you will not quit because you are so mindful of Christ and his kingdom. Now let me stop and come back to me. When things don't go very well in my life, which means if I'm not completely healthy, if I don't have enough money, if I'm in a broken relationship with someone at work, if my political party doesn't win, I'm having a bad day. And I read this all week long. I've been reading about women and men and boys and girls who understand the purpose of suffering is to make them strong in so let's talk about this a little bit. Let me take you through it. Slide three. So this is now for those people who are suffering and the people in Acts, in the First Peter. You can apply this to yourself. So exiles who suffer are burned, refined, purified, removed, shaped, pruned, cut, prepared, and disciplines. They are hurt experience pain so that Christ's character forms in them. Christ's faith grows in them and Christ's glory shines in them. Now, go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 
And keep your finger at chapter 4, verse 12. Look at this. So chapter 4, 12. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you. What's he talking about? Go back to chapter 1, verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, here's why, purpose clause, this is why, the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold will be revealed. Now here's the imagery that is given in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, and chapter 4, verse 12. It's a fire. The imagery is you take something and you put it into the hottest oven you can manage. And you put it in there and all the dross is burned off. And what's left is something pure. So what he says now to these persecuted Christians in the first century and 425 million Christians in the world, all the dross is being burned off. Don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange. Don't be ashamed when you go through suffering for Christ. Listen now. For 20 centuries... Most Christians who have ever lived expected life to include suffering for Christ, except us. We want a nice life and a comfortable life and a fun life, entertaining life. And so when suffering comes our way, we just don't know how to respond to it. And that's why Timothy Keller in his beautiful book says, American people do not have a theology of suffering. So listen again. The purpose of suffering is so that our character gets formed. So our faith grows so that Christ's glory shines on us. So what am I telling you? Listen, in a sentence, there is a purpose for suffering. Last night, we had a beautiful service of commemoration for people who've lost loved ones. Beautiful, beautiful. We pulled out all the chairs. We recreated the front. We had three specific stations where people could do things of remembrance. And we couched the whole morning, the whole evening in the resurrection hall. Remember I told you week one, way back when, in chapter 1, verse 3, in chapter 1, verse 13, in chapter 1, verse 21, St. Peter talks about hope. The thing that is coming, the thing that is coming, the thing that is coming, focus on what is coming. Last night, as we gathered together, we began slowly because we didn't quite know as a community of grieving people how to respond to each other. There, there were... There were there were, there were tragic deaths, tragic deaths. There were gradual deaths. There were painful cancer deaths. There were horrific long-time suffering deaths. And at the end of our time of liturgy and prayer, we moved to these three stations, and it was unbelievable to watch. People who do not express emotion publicly were looking for each other and I saw a man that I would have never, ever, ever imagined this happen. They are holding each other right over here. 
And they are weeping, holding each other because they believe in the hope for the ones they love because of Christ. Folks, I'm going to push you and push you and push you as long as I got breath for as many days as you give me here. We have to make deep, intentional commitments to walk with Jesus. We have to. We have to. So let's talk about this, these questions. I took last week in the auditorium, Tom Vanderwell did a wonderful job of asking questions. So I'm going to ask some questions. Next slide, please. Let's go through our passage and ask some questions. Let me ask him and answer him relatively quickly because of time. So in verse 12, let me, let's, let's, let me read the verses then to give you quick answers. Verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fire ordeal that's come on you to test you. Why does the fiery ideal ordeal come to test you? As though something strange were happening to you. Why is suffering considered strange? Because people don't understand. The, listen, listen, listen to me. The purpose of suffering is to grow your character. That's why we, there's a reason for suffering. It's not like, oh, God's just, our good, good father's taking a day off. He's just probably taking a nap over here. And he just doesn't know what's going on. No, 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 no. There's a reason for suffering. So don't think it's strange when you suffer because God's trying to grow some character. He's trying to make you strong. He's trying to make you rooted. He's trying to make you ready for what is. Don't think it's strange when you suffer. That's how he starts it. Verse 13, what's the next question? What results from suffering? Look at the next verse, verse 13. He says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you can be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You can, you can have joy because you're doing what Jesus did. One of the people I read this week, can't find my paper. She is, she is a doctor in a particular country. For 20 years or so, she served capably, honorably as a medical doctor. There was a problem politically. She was placed in prison and for five and a half months, she was raped and beaten. There's a doctor who has served this area. I gotta find this quote. So she is raped and beaten, and then she had an experience in the prison cell with the risen Christ. So I'm gonna read what she said. This is one of the people that I've read all week long. Her name is Helen. R-O-S-E-V-E-A-R-E. -E -E. She writes, the Lord came to her in prison. She's been beaten and raped for five and a half months. This is what the Lord said. I'm going to read what the Lord said to her. Twelve year, 20 years ago, you asked me for the privilege of being a missionary. You asked Helen for the privilege of being identified with me. This is it. Don't you want it? This is what you prayed for. And this what moment in your life means. These are not your sufferings, but mine. All I'm asking for is the loan of your body. She is participating in the sufferings of Christ. And as her story continues, in the midst of all that suffering, she experienced a joy 
and then a peace that passes all understanding. The text in verse 13 says, what's the result of suffering as an exile if you are rooted in Christ? There is joy because I'm identified with Jesus and there is joy because what is coming is so good. My first funeral, I think it was the first funeral, 1993. This man, particular person, was a veteran, Korean War veteran, died and lots of things. But as he was dying, I asked him because he suffered significantly. I said, what's the good word? Teach this young pastor something. I was 38 at the time. And he quoted from Romans. So this is a veteran who's living in not great conditions through the VA. I don't mean to, I shouldn't say that. A difficult situation. Suffering. He pulled my face down to his. Said, young man, this is what keeps me going. The sufferings of this life cannot compare with the glories that will be revealed. And that's why you can have joy in suffering. Because the more persecuted church, the more they suffer here, the more joy they're going to experience there. Can I say the word delayed gratification? How about the next one? How does excelic blessing excelic suffering bring blessing. And this is really interesting to me, I thought. Verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Now look at the next phrase. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So can I slide seven for a second? This is how I'm defining glory. And the glory is all through, five times in this little How am I defining glory? It is a revelation of the character and power of God. So what's he saying in verse 14? The Spirit of glory, the spirit of Christ rests on him in suffering. So we want powerful experiences with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. And here's one of them. It's in suffering. Did I just read that from the scriptures? It's right here. The spirit of glory and of Christ rests on you. Isn't that amazing? So here are these 425 million people suffering and they are living with joy and hope because why? The spirit of glory rests on them. So let me just say this. You know this. I'm chickening out. Too many emails last week. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> slide, uh, slide five. So are there right ways and wrong ways to suffer as exiles? To these 425 million, don't suffer as a murderer, a thief, a meddler, a slanderer. Don't, don't suffer for those reasons. How are we to suffer? By doing the things that Christ would do. And the next one, why does Peter connect suffering to judgment? I want to go here for a second because this is important. Verses 17, 18, 19. Look at those with me. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So what, what is this deal with judgment? Now let me push into this now. I want you to think about the, the, the video. So watch this guy in Korea. 
What does judgment have to do with that? Because, let me take that idea, bring it here. In Christendom, in Southeast Iowa, 20 years ago, if you showed up in church, you were a Christian. And if you read your Bible occasionally, you were a Christian. You put a few bucks in the offering plate, you were a Christian. The best research we have a decade ago was that the half the people who go to church regularly are not born again. They just go to church. Kevin, what are you talking about? So what judgment is, is the Lord allowing suffering because he's separating people who are actually following Jesus from those who don't. So my friends who pastor in Chicago say they're committed people worship once every six weeks. And in Los Angeles, it's once every six weeks. Why? Well, we've got this to do and this to do. I'm not saying worship is not the end all. I'm not saying that. But it gives a glimpse. So if I don't want to need to worship, well, why should I read my Bible? And why should I pray? And why should I give? And why should I be kind? And why should I forgive? Why should I do it? And what suffering does is sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's the Lord cleaning house in his church. And he's saying, judgment begins here. If we are idiots in the community, I had someone come up to me this morning after the first service, visited today. And I'm going to quote, you're lucky I'm here today. Some of your sanctimonious members came to my business this week and did hypercritical talk and spirituality all mixed together, and I just wanted to puke. But I wanted to come to church to see what you say on Sunday mornings because if these are the people who go to your church, Kevin Corver, I don't think I want to go to your church. And what judgment does is the Lord says, are you really in the game with me? Are you really going to walk the road with me? Are you really going to fight the good fight of faith with me? Are you all in or all out? And what judgment is, here, if you're not in, judgment begins with the house of God because he wants us to be lights in this culture. He wants us to bring grace to the culture. So sometimes, sometimes judgment comes because the Lord is saying, come on, church, I need you to commit to each other and to the kingdom. Oh, but that doesn't happen here. It just happens in the persecuted church. What do you think? So what I've been trying to say for about 23 minutes is simply this. Suffering for exiles is what God uses 
to help us learn to be committed, faithful followers in hard times. Instead of running from suffering, we need to say, Lord, what are you doing in it? We pray for his presence. We pray for his goodness. We pray for his healing. Absolutely. But we also need to ask questions. Lord, what are you trying to do in me? So, I've done hundreds of funerals. It's different when it's your own son. I know all the answers. And now I've got to deal with them here. And so suffering looks way different when you're deeply, deeply, deeply involved. And when the Lord says to me, to me, will you exercise the muscle of faith? Will you choose to focus on what is to come? Will you set your heart, your mind on Christ Jesus? Will you long for more of the Spirit and more of his words and choosing to live a life of favor? An interesting experience this week. Need to hide the story a bit. Someone has gone through uh, a situation that I hope no one here ever has to go through. Horrible, 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 horrible thing. And because of what happened, this person who met with me is filled with rage. Filled with rage. And the beautiful conversation we shared after lots of talking and crying and loud, tremendous back and forth, I said to this man who I love deeply, hate is your motivation for living. Because of what happened, he hates. And what's happened to his family and others has been so painful because he is full of hate. And together he cried out and said, Lord, I need to get rid of this hate. So what does he do to someone who has done horrible, 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 horrible things to him? He says, what do I do? Can I say what Jesus said? Yeah. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I said, until you walk the road, begin walking the road of forgiving. Hate will be your master and anger will be your prison. And suffering now is enveloping him. And I'm going to make a prediction. Someday, he's going to stand right here. And he's going to tell you a story. A story of unbelievable redemption. Through suffering. How about this? It's a quick conversation. Number eight. I wonder if we could take two minutes to talk and then two minutes to pray. I'll make it a little longer, maybe three. We're not going to we're going to just sing doxology at the end, so we got a little time. So here's my talk question: If you're willing, if you're able, 
If you knew in June of next year, eight months from now, that you would suffer for being a follower of Christ, how would you prepare yourself between now and then? Could you talk with someone or someone? What would you do if you knew suffering was coming in significant ways? And then could we end up with a little bit of prayer? And then you can stand together or whatever. Can we just, with one person we'll pray, but can we just pray? Pray for all these persons, these people are persecuted. You know, I, I thought about this. You know, right now, we are the wealthiest, most powerful, richest nation that's ever existed. What, hap- what will we do 30 years from now if America was poor and bankrupt and our economy was no good? Would we want people and the rest of the world to be praying for us? Can we pray for those who are persecuted? So can we take a couple minutes? Willing conversation. If you're not, pretend you're praying. And then I'll call us to prayer. And then we'll sing doxology. On your marks, get set, go. Go.